0: Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: You're listening to a TVO podcast. I'm Colin Ellis, and you're listening to On Docs, a podcast about documentaries and the stories they tell. Today I'm speaking with Young Chang, the acclaimed filmmaker whose latest doc, This Is Not A Movie, happens to be about one of my favorite journalists working today, Robert Fisk.
0: I think that if you watch wars, and out here you do, history unfortunately in the Middle East is about largely wars. The making of history, the construction of politics is done through violence. And I think that you're watching history happen and you're telling people about it. And I think what happens is that you develop the idea that the old ideas of journalism, that you've got to be neutral and take nobody's side, is rubbish. I think as a journalist, you've got to be neutral and unbiased on the side of those who suffer.
1: A little background on Fisk, in case you don't know. He's interviewed some pretty notorious people. He interviewed Osama bin Laden three times, like literally sat across from him. Nuts. He's also covered major hot spots like Northern Ireland during the Troubles, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, and most recently Syria. I love Fisk for a few reasons. He's a great writer with a depth of knowledge about the Middle East, which is a rare combination you don't always get with other reporters. Also, there's no bullshit with him. He tells you what he thinks and doesn't claim to be objective, which is something we get into in this episode. So, of course, when someone made a doc about him, I had to speak to them. And that person happens to be Young Chang. He's directed films on China, exotic fruits, and now a conflict reporter which prompted the question, why?
2: It's about a person who has things to say, who's collected wisdom over the years. And at this dire state of uh, journalism today, why not lend an ear to this character, someone who is of a uh, kind of like a a lost generation of reporters?
1: And if you like old school shoe leather reporting, he's the genuine article. So I'm just going to leave it at that. This is me with director Young Chang. Well, uh, young Cheng, thank you so much for joining us today Th-
2: thanks for having me i really appreciate
1: it uh, first question off the top why a doc about robert fisk
2: you know that's a it's a funny question and it and it's sort of a long-winded story but i'll try to keep it very concise <laughs> uh, I've been working on this uh, the the uh, the concision part um, well you know post 9/11 <laughs> let's go back <laughs> it goes all the way back to 9/11 wow, let's okay. go back um, uh, Post nine eleven, I was a uh, I was a fine arts student at uh, Concordia University in in, uh, in Montreal, and um, at the time uh, uh, there wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of writing uh, that I f- I think uh, my peers and I felt like we could connect to sort of like activists you know social justice activists at the time and and I think what we gravitated towards was this website called Z Magazine. Uh, and it was um, it was just like I th- actually think it was a it's a published magazine, but at the time they also had a website, and they still do. And on that website, they collect the writers of, of the uh, all sorts of different writers and opinions, uh, people who have ideas, including Chomsky and uh, I think Rebecca Solnit is on there, and uh, Edward Said, you know, all these writers, and Robert Fisk. Uh, that's how I first encountered his writing, um, especially at a time. Post 9-11 where there was just so much confusion and and it's, it felt like misunderstanding and anger, you know, and how to kind of uh, – how, how to find a way through that. And it, it felt like Robert Fisk as a foreign correspondent was sort of uh, finding a, a way to communicate – a, a sensibility that wasn't really coming through in mainstream media. And, uh, and, and that was the connection for me originally. I'm person writing this. I'm not an agency
0: tap, tap, tapping away machine. People say, oh, you know, you're letting your feelings show. Why not? I'm the nerve ending. I'm not a machine. What, what I try to do when I'm writing, I try to talk to the reader like someone they know. I'm trying to write as if I'm writing to a friend.
2: You won't believe what I've just seen. That's the key to getting people to understand what's going on. Fast forward to a few years ago, in in 2015, 2016, uh, it landed on my lap. Anita Lee, the producer, and um, Nellafor Pazira, co-producer, pr- presented a story about Robert Fisk to me, and uh, and it, you know, it had been a while since I had connected to his writing, and 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 I thought about it, and and had to go and and meet the guy in beirut he lives in beirut Mm -hmm. he's been there for 40 years uh i know his legacy i know his you know his accomplishments uh but i wasn't sure about what his character would be like Mm. what would it be like to hang out with this grizzled (laughs) you know 70 plus year old foreign correspondent uh who has a reputation you know you anyone can go online and and you can read about all sorts of different things about him uh And I I wanted to cut through that and get to know the guy actually. So we went down on a research trip, and it turned out he was quite the opposite of what I expected.
1: How did he feel about a doc being made about him?
2: He felt uh, resistant in the beginning. I think think he was open to the idea because it was – uh, because he had seen my work. He'd seen my prior work. So it was uh, that was comforting to know that I wasn't coming in having to prove myself as a filmmaker, but that he respected the work. So we connected on that level. Um, we made it very clear. We set some rules. One of those rules was that, uh, you know, he wasn't going to hang back and let me kind of tell him what to do which is often the case in in so-called observational filmmaking you have a little more collaboration a little more control over the circumstances that may unfold like you know just time you know i think one of the challenges with documentary filmmaking is is that you usually don't have the element of of you know like you do in fiction which is controlling the pace of things and and in my experience you know you can slow things down and like you know ask the subject to kind of wait let me set the camera up that kind of thing mm-hmm. In this scenario, it was not about that. This was about maintaining uh, an integrity of truth. And that meant there was no slowing down, no stopping. He was going to go where he had to go. And we had to just be on it. And if we missed it, we missed it. Uh, that was our rule of, uh, of filmmaking. And, you
1: know, for people who don't really know Robert Fisk's work that well, I mean, you said you discovered him in, in, in Concordia. Uh, I discovered him in university as well, and I think I you know I read three of his books, <laughs> so, uh, mammoth tomes. Mammoth, like, yes, yeah. exactly. They're a not <laughs> they're not light reading, <laughs> no, uh, and not for the faint of heart. But, but uh, just tell us a bit about, I guess, sort of the stories that he's covered, and you know what he's been doing for the last forty years of his career.
2: I mean, his career spans uh, the entire, you know, formation. I would say of the modern Middle East. Uh, he began. As a journalist in the in the um, in the early uh, mid 1970s, where he's you know he was sent to uh, to the Middle East as a foreign correspondent, and since then has covered every major atrocity, uh, war, um, massacre, uh, yeah, you name it. Um, you know, and I think some of the highlights, especially for him as a journalist, has been you know the the Sabratha massacre in, in 1982. Um, That was in Lebanon. In Lebanon. Uh, Every single invasion of Iraq. uh, He writes, you know, he wrote a few books and and some of them that I would highlight, Pity the Nation, which is a remarkable, uh, very emotional um, kind of recount of his experience in Beirut in the early days of the war Civil War and and of course the is, Israel invasion of, of of Lebanon and the Sabra Shatila massacre in the refugee camp in Beirut and and then continuing onwards you know the only uh, then he you know he, he wrote this huge book the Great War for <laughs> uh, Civilization, the Great War for Civilization yeah. and which he tells me you know he hasn't have an editor. <laughs> so the the word he ends with is the word he ends with. It is like page by page as it is written. He's currently working on a new book which is a continuation from Great Great War for Civilization which uh which is called tentatively titled uh, Night of Power which I believe will be the title of the of the book and it's he's at the time we started filming he was on page 600 something and now he's like hit 1600 pages i think it's going to be like a two-part three-part volume but you know he's of that he's cut from that cloth of the old generation of writers who just you know really and and when you read his writing that's the other thing that's so fascinating he's an excellent storyteller yes his descriptions are in a way I don't know if he would agree with me but there's a there's a uh, simplicity to the writing that's very straightforward and through that straightforwardness it comes across even more emotional you know even even though he may pull back mm-hmm. in the amount of of uh, you know uh, in the verbs he uses to describe you know you know and to kind of put into action what he's witnessing uh it's very stark and very stripped down writing which makes it all the more like hemingway all the more um, you know, hits very close. Yeah,
1: it's narrative nonfiction. And it
2: is exactly that. Yeah. Uh, and and there's a point of view, there's a personal point of view that I think makes it, it makes. and this is what, I remind, what made me connect to it back in the day, is that it's written so directly through his commentary. And I think that matters. It matters to hear what somebody's thinking mm. or imposing that sort of point of view into the writing, I think is crucial.
1: You mentioned not wanting to do, I guess, like a, like a kind of a, just a biography of him. But um, what about, I guess, like exploring issues related to the Middle East? Was that of interest to you as well? Like using him sort of as like your, I like guess, point of view character into
2: that region? That was part of it in the beginning. I think what we realized and what I realized as I was embarking on the movie is that it would be very challenging to adequately summarize, and which is a... Much hated Fisk word summarize the uh, you know the Middle East in a in a ninety plus minute movie it would be an, almost an insult. Mm-hmm. So what I decided to do was more focus more on the theme of journalism, focus more on the theme of of you know uh, you know the work he's done and how he does the work Fisk, um, uh, and that uh, it you know I think it just so happens he got stationed or what do you call it what's the word you know sent you know you, you know he was sent to the middle east as the foreign correspondent for the independent mm-hmm. the times first then the independent but but you know um if he had been sent to china he would have become you know the china correspondent and pursued it to the nth degree in terms of its his his research and i think it's it, by default he landed in the middle east mm-hmm. and so um i think part of the idea of the film was that you know, some of these ideas about the Middle East would come into contact through uh, through his journalism in the film, but we wouldn't necessarily make it a uh, you know a walk through uh, through Robert Fisk's history of the Middle East. Much rather, his his journey as a f- as a foreign correspondent.
1: And the reason he stays in the Middle East, I mean, he, I think he compares it to like a novel that he's, you know, trying to anxiously see what's going to yeah. happen next. And you sit up and you say, well, it's almost midnight, just one more chapter.
0: And then you say, well, I'll just read the next chapter to see what happens next. It's a never-ending That's novel. That's right. Yeah, it'll go beyond my lifetime. And without hmm. her But her I still end. want to know what happens next. It, w- it's a great human tragedy, and I cannot draw myself away from seeing what happens next. Chief Aga Habibi. fear. It's a pretty interesting metaphor.
2: I mean, the one point that I make very clear is that uh, I didn't try to make a film a ha- ha- hagiographic film that you could just, you know fawning and you know over Robert Fisk. That wasn't really the point. Uh, I myself. You know, when I think about it, would I ever go on a vacation with Robert Fisk? I'm not so <laughs> sure about that. Um, but as a person, uh, because of his mammoth, his mammoth, you know, presence as a journalist and, and in the history of journalism is crucial. Um, you know, that is his legacy. You know, and I think uh, the point being that um, that it, you know, in this movie, I think there's instances in the film and mostly shown observationally or you know just kind of left in there like the moment where he equates the middle east as a you know as a as a modern uh russian tragedy like like a tolstoy type war and peace type thing um uh, i mean it's kind of a grandiose statement and slightly could be insulting to some people uh but that was sort of the point you know like let's let's like, take him at face value he is who he is he's not a, necessarily uh, someone who everyone loves, you know, um, and and let's, you know, and he's an older guy of another generation. Back in the day, he was, you know, at the time he started, uh, majority journalist, white male journalists. That was what was happening at the time. But somehow, I think what I respect about him is his ability to remain what he feels, and going back to your point that he, you know, he stayed in the Middle East because he felt it was important. The longer you stay, the more you know, is what he says, and and I think he has a lot of things to say about, you know, journalists who who type from a, a laptop in New York and call themselves foreign correspondents. I mean, that's a whole other argument, but uh, but I think there is some justification to that. Having spent some time with him, I do think uh, I learned a lot in his sort of investigative. On the ground journalism and how it uh, reveals, in terms of uh, you know w- what is reported and what is actually happening, is is I think a very distinct thing he does, and 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 through his you know both as a columnist and a reporter, I think it's a distinction that he is known for. And um, so yeah, he's he's like just to summarize his his <laughs> character, you know, I think he's um, he's sort of an irascible type guy, and uh, and. And his integrity is what drives him, his integrity for the truth. And I think that often gets obfuscated, in in the uh, just, uh, you know. If you Google him, you'll see things that come up that are that at the initially. And when I was researching, I I thought I would dive down into that, you know, and 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 meet with people who felt, you know, the opposite of what and or felt critical of his work. I realized that a lot of it was hearsay and not mm. necessarily true. And you have to actually. Taking a page from Robert himself, you know, be on the ground with the guy to really know how he works and understand him. He's not, you know, rumors have it, you know, there's just so much. And I don't know if it's part of just the business of journalism or f- foreign correspondence, you know. The, but there's a lot of people have a lot to say about him that that I realize are just false, hmm. absolutely false. And uh, and so, yeah, that's why I took a position on, in the film that it would be told a film through his a voice uh, we'd we you know we'd stick with him and and have him tell us what he thinks and leave it open to criticism yeah
1: well he's and he's not shy about like showing his uh, or sharing his view right he's not like he's very unbalanced and you know I guess oh yeah I like, mean yeah unbiased or sorry he doesn't believe I guess you can uh, really show no bias in your reporting and I wonder you know as a filmmaker does documentaries mm-hmm. um what do you think of that I mean do you think it's like guess you know, do you think journalists should be try to strive for balance and, and unbiased um, journalism, or yeah. what do you think? That's a
2: great question, and I think that that uh, um, I mean, I, let's dive into this because I think it's a great piece to to discuss around documentary filmmaking. I mean, first and foremost, for me, my definition of uh, of documentary filmmaking is sort of taken from a, uh, a page from. Uh, Grierson, John Grierson, the founder of the National Film Board of Canada, which is that documentary is the interp- in the interpretation of reality. Uh, I don't consider myself a journalist. I'm a filmmaker. I mean, I you know when I went to film school, I was studying, I was studying you know non-scripted f- fiction filmmaking were were my references. So I approach it from a different uh, point of view, and maybe it's more aligned with how Robert thinks about journalism. Robert's definition of journalism is to report uh on the side of those who suf- on the side of those who suffer um you know reporting on the side of those who suffer and i think that is a a very clear subjective point of view and if you and he takes that as his position and uses it to to inform his 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 sort of quote unquote impartiality mm-hmm. you know um it's obviously uh uh Uh, tilted to the side of those who suffer and ultimately gets him into a lot of trouble when he when he focuses on that definition and i think that um uh but and i think i hope in my film that it comes through that this definition and this approach um uh no matter how controversial and how much uh you know uh how how to say it, uh, crap it puts him in um, in terms of being on the other side of the argument most often or the canary in the coal mine as I like to say, he he certainly is this sort of journalist who uh, is a, an iconoclast, you know, he's not going to say what everyone else is saying because he's going to question that um, and you look at it, you look at Duma you know, the gas attack in Duma and that's been the most recent I think You know, this was Syria in Syria, 2018. 2018, uh, Reports, as we outline in our film, uh, in the film, you know, um, mass media was mainstream media was reporting that the gas attack was perpetrated by the Syrian government, and Robert went on the ground to investigate, uh, separated himself from the media bus, so to speak, uh, you know and and dug around and came out with a totally different conclusion, the quite the opposite and um, and found that uh, that it was inconclusive. you know you can't prove that that uh, there was a gas attack perpetrated by the Syrian government and to do so would be dangerous hmm. because you know by doing so which is what happened, which is what you know Western governments jumped on, uh, the end result being, you know, they there was and there ended up being a bombing and uh, perpetrated by by the Western governments, and that bombing uh, blew up a factory and could have resulted in civilian deaths. All around this idea, similar to that old idea of the weapons of mass destruction, you know, uh, like I think that that to me was that really struck home to me. This idea that let, wait, let's hold on, let's look at this, um, you know, let's be careful. The consequences. Uh, can be horrendous,
1: and and you were there with him when you when, you, when he was reporting on that story. Um, any concerns for your own safety or or your camera crew or, or so? this?
2: yeah, that, that you know this is a good point. And the Syria trip was um, put together with my my camera crew, and I remained uh, at a safe place. Um, so my crew went in. It was Derade Munajim, my cinematographer, uh, Nella Bazir, my producer, um, and Robert. Uh, and Durade, let me just quickly speak upon his his qualities. I mean, he's a fantastic cinematographer. Uh, one of these guys who I think worked in fiction with, with uh, the filmmaker filmmaking team f- behind Zero Dark Thirty and Hurt Locker. Cool. Uh, he was the um, the uh, the uh, second unit cinematographer on those films and so became someone who was known as the guy who does the Middle East uh, films. <laughs> I went to school with him back in, in Concordia and he uh, um, you know he's an Iraqi Canadian filmmaker who's not afraid to to go and go places and and film and tell the story and that, that uh, uh, he, he got some great stuff in Syria it was fantastic
0: Here we're on a bit of front line road Syrian guns are in the hills around here, firing over our heads to mountainsides beyond that ridge, which is where Nusra and other opposition-armed groups, Islamists, are positioned. I'm just wondering if they're going to shoot back. Are we going to hear more? That's an explosion. That's not a gun firing. It came from over there.
1: So um, I actually want to ask you more about him, the, Robert Fist, the man, because you spent some time with him in his home, mm-hmm. and uh, it actually kind of surprised me like that he doesn't really live in like a like a lavish house it's like a pretty mod well you describe it i mean it was pretty modest right
2: that where he lives in beirut is in a let's say it's an original uh, building a french colonial perhaps building on the uh, mediterranean on the corniche in beirut Uh, i don't think it's changed in over 40 years since he first moved there he rents it it's covered by the independent the newspaper that he writes for uh, and um, and it leaks, and the toilet is one of those old toilets with the chain and pull, <laughs> and you know uh, he's he lives a very simplif- simplified kind of existence. Mm. He's a writer. He's a writer who has his writing room, and it used to be typewriters, and now it's a it used to be you know all sorts of modes of communication and and now it's a it's a laptop but back in the day and until recently he did start using the internet but um you know he's i think he's of that generation who and writes about it quite a lot actually uh about you know about having uh you know being Having contact with a newspaper, having contact with books—he cuts like, the newspaper clippings. You know, he's still a guy that and, yeah. <laughs> does press. You know, he's cuts. Yeah, right. He he collects clippings, uh, and he has a crazy archive yeah. of of paper clippings organized through a theme, and and that's how he writes his books. Um, and he knows he has a phenomenal kind of recollection, sort of photographic memory. Although I'm not. I'm not sure if it's an actual photographic memory, but he's able to sort of go and find the thing that he's looking for that refers to the thing that he needs to write about. Uh, He's very good at that. And I think it's because, as he says in the film, uh, the rigors of pursuing a a Ph.D. allowed him to sort of figure out a method for research, which has lent itself towards his work being a sort of journalist historian. Mm -hmm. Um, But he lives very simply, quite humbly, very private. Um, and he's not on Twitter. No, gosh, no. He's uh very dead set against uh social media. Um he I think he does think it uh, it a sort of uh, the end of I I don't know. I'm not going to put words in his mouth, sure, yeah. but I I do think he thinks that it's a serious problem and that a lot of what we see now and even the uh, in in media uh is a, a direct result of the internet and uh, um, and he tries to avoid it at all costs um, and and I think he he offered me some wisdom you know upon the as we near the release of the film uh, coming up at, at the Toronto International Film Festival you know you know how to deal with some of this you know the criticisms we may get about the about the film. Um, for Robert, it's something he's dealt with all his life, and he sort of just ignores it. Well, he, he's been called
1: everything from, I guess, an anti-Semite because of his coverage of Israel and being pro-Palestinian, or, or to being pro-Palestinian.
0: I've been a pro-Palestinian, pro-terrorist, pro-Zionist at one point, I remember. Pro-isolationist is what the Palestinians called me when I spoke about Christians being killed. Pro-Catholic, pro-IRA, pro... And after all this, do you really think I care? Yeah.
1: I think Alan Dershowitz called him dangerous. (laughs) Um, Well, I know he doesn't really care about any of that stuff, but I guess I wonder what you thought of of those labels.
2: Well, you know, I'll I'll jump in right now and and comment on on the idea that he's pro-Palestinian. I think if we go back to his definition, reporting on the side of those who suffer, then I think his argument would be that he's not pro-Palestinian, he's he's pro-truth. So I think he holds himself true to that. Uh, if he's, you know, uh, you know, if 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 something horrible were to happen and it tilted it tilted itself towards a perspective through the side of those who suffer in Israel, for example, uh, you know, the Jews in Israel, then I think he would take that position. Mm-hmm. And so I think that has been his guiding kind of process uh, in his writing. Um, but yeah, I think someone of his character and his uh, his resilience is that he doesn't really care what people think or call or label him. He doesn't try to engage in those battles. Um, Do
1: you think, though, it may turn off some people who will see his writing, see that he's not, you know, uh, you know, going to take a so so-called balanced approach, and might just say, "Well, he's not going to, you know, give both sides a, a, a fair shake, so I'm not going to listen to this guy."
2: I think. I think. Um, One of the purposes of the film is to directly ask the audience, you know, to think about what that idea is about being, you know, balanced on two sides. Uh, Like he says in the film, you know, he wouldn't go and interview, you know... The Nazis uh, at, at a concentration camp. He would go and and talk to the people who suffered, mm. you know. And I think he wouldn't give that kind of time to the authorities. That I think an, another driving definition for him is to 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 question authority, you know. You know to 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 always remember that that is the the sort of the the importance of his journalism. Not that it's meant to change, as he says, and quite you know quite with a, more of a sour note, you know, that his, his ability as a journalist isn't necessarily to change the world in the moment that he's reporting, but, but rather, and I think w- which is quite valuable, is this idea of keeping a record, a, and a historic record of what happened so that nobody can question if it did or did not. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I think that, is his, that is what's important about his work. Uh, to go back... Um, I, I think that um I think that this problem we have now today is this uh conundrum about how to engage with media and media and and how we don't we don't have a uh, a sense for or at least I even myself as a filmmaker uh lack in media literacy you know and and I worry about that for my child I worry about that I think we're at a place now where you have to put the cards on the table. You have to take a position. You know, in in terms of how you're reporting. Because if you kind of toe the line, uh, you 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 end up being in this sort of echo chamber this and and you and reporting on these convenient truths that that may not necessarily be speaking the truth, you know? And I think that goes to the to the the sequence in the film where we talk about Duma and the gas attack in Duma it goes to these uh, you know these moments, especially around nine eleven, where Robert, <laughs> uh, you know, maybe the timing wasn't quite quite uh, spot on, but you know, the day after nine eleven, he questioned, uh, you know, you know, why did this happen? And and he was, and he, rightfully so, I think, was asking, you know, you know, is anyone stopping to to, to hold, hold step, take a pause, and ask, you know, why why did these attacks happen on September eleventh? And I think, like he says, he was one of the few journalists who was who was kind of questioning that. But then, the result was Dershowitz coming in and labeling labeling him an anti Semitic. So it's um, I think there's I think he's he you know people are going to hate him and not everyone's going to love him. But um, but maybe as I said earlier, he's sort of the the canary in the coal mine in that maybe he's a, he's it helps us. He, he's uh, got a place where it, he can remind us to say. Oh, let's let's question, let's think it through, you know. Let's be, uh, you know. Let's look at it through a different uh, uh, a different lens, and and not, you know, take everything at face value.
1: Hmm. Do you think of him as like a straight up journalist or a crusader?
2: uh he would he would he would really dislike <laughs> <laughs> I know him so well now that I excuse, uh, I know him so well now that I know he when he when I've asked him the similar question he he just uh, he can't handle the word crusader I mean it has a religious context to him for him and it's uh I don't think he would consider himself a crusader and as the more I got to know him uh I think I don't think like I don't think his his purpose is to like he says in the film which is you know he's not there to to try to to change the world or, um at least he's learned his longevity his experience has taught him that he's not going to be that kind of uh romantic journalist that he thought he could be in the beginning of his career you know he referenced at the very early age, he knew he would become a journalist because he watched this film, Foreign Correspondent, uh, Alfred Hitchcock film. And and that uh, in that film, you know, the journalist gets the girl and, you know, saves the war, ends the wars, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and to him, and this is in reference to our title, he says, you know, this is not a movie. Uh, I think he's quite realistic that way. I think he... I think he likes writing. He likes storytelling. I think he um he has a profound connection to history. Um, you know, that influenced by his father, uh who who uh, just and even that connection, you know, his father fought in World War 1, <laughs> which is so unusual for someone of his age that his father would be of that generation. Um, And I think that really struck him deeply, too, you know, and and informs how he thinks and writes. Has he seen the doc? You know, he has not seen the film yet. But by the time this interview airs, he will have seen the documentary. And I can tell you, he's going to say what he thinks. And he may even end up writing about it in a column. And it may not be... uh, you know a glowing review of the film, but um that's Robert Fisk. are you ready for that? you know um any sort of comment from Robert fisk, i think would be a uh, would be a pretty good uh you know something to say hey, i got a I got a little write up by Robert Fisk you know, <laughs> but uh, but yeah yeah he's um i think i'll be uh i'm curious to hear his reaction i i think he might think we're leaning a little too heavily into. Uh, a celebratory note so to speak even though I tried to really pull back on that but I think we had to for general audiences strike a balance between people who didn't know him at all entering the movie and people who knew of him and and I th- I'm hoping we sort of found that right that right uh that middle ground for uh for for audiences to engage with the story of a journalist a foreign
1: correspondent what do you this is my last question what do you what is your ultimate hope uh, for, for people to take away from this film and from Robert Fisk's legacy I guess
2: yeah I think you know the first thing I want an audience to take away is is a sense of questioning questioning uh, um, the role of media the role of journalism uh, in today's world um I think I would want the film to provoke debate. I want people to sit down after they see the movie, go have a drink at the bar and um, and just kind of hash through a little bit of Duma, uh, the Duma gas attack. Um, you know, you know, sort of dig deeper. I mean, a movie generally—it's not a, the be-all, end-all of uh, of someone's interaction with an idea. I think it continues on, and uh, and I think that kind of provocation is what makes filmmaking so and documentary filmmaking so, um, you know, so uh, inspiring in a way. It's that uh, that we're we can sit through uh, an hour and a half and 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 come out of it not changed but sort of like oh i want to dig into that more or i'm going to go home i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to look up you know how to teach my kid about engaging with information and news or you know why do you make a film about a old white journalist you know what what's <laughs> that about and then and then maybe to dig into that a little bit and see that this film isn't really about a person it 's about the world that person inhabits, and how that person, as a foreign correspondent, is translating information for us uh, for for people who don 't live in that world um, that 's very important. We put a lot of power into the hands of somebody who 's giving us information we We need to be able to trust people if we don 't trust anyone how can we how do how will we be able to decipher what is happening in today 's and you know in in the news, you know. And that is why someone like Robert Fisk uh, matters, I think. Uh, I can put my trust in him knowing that he may, regardless of how controversial his words may be, at least he's trying to get at something, trying to get to the truth of something, and that for him, it's his truth. Um, and I would say over anyone else, uh, for example, even when he covers, uh, the, you know, the Id, the imminent battle of Idlib in Syria. I mean, he was there. He was seeing it firsthand. You know, he was the eyewitness reporter. So who are you going to believe? You know what I mean? Uh, and that's why I think he matters. Well,
1: you have left us a lot to think about. And I just <laughs> want to thank you so much for coming here today.
2: Thanks so much, Colin. Appreciate the conversation.
1: that's the podcast if you didn't catch this is not a movie at tiff this year look for it when it hits theaters in the spring i promise it will be worth the wait and thanks to kelly and jasmine from real asian international film festival for their help in setting up this interview remember to leave us a review on apple podcasts and tell your friends it always helps we love to know what you think of course so if you have any thoughts on robert fisk or this episode and you want to share it with us write to us at ondocs at tvo.org and you can also follow me on twitter at colin 81 Thanks to producers Chantal Berganza and Matthew O'Mara, and production support coordinators Nikki Ashworth and Jonathan Hollowell. And Kathy Vay is executive producer for Digital at TVO. We'll catch you at the next screening.